Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Morning. All right, you're as responsive as when I left. All right, that's fine. Um, hey, I'm so glad to be here. My name is Jared. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, our two kids, Patterson and Brooks, we minister at a church called East 40, which is about 45 minutes east of Columbus uh, in Zanesville, Ohio. We've been there for four years, but the nine years before that, we were here on staff and uh, happy, happiest years of our life. This is always home, and so it's always great to come back here. You know, whenever I come back here, Weston isn't here, um, which I guess means he doesn't like me. So he he can confess his sins to you next week, but I like him personally and hope that he does well and they have a great trip. Um, today, I'm going to pick up where he left off last week as he was teaching in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus was teaching using parables, and those are practical stories with a heavenly meaning. And he was teaching a series of parables, and and we're going to get to what happened after the parables today. Because even though he's not teaching anymore in the the form of a parable, he has this opportunity, this this event happens in his life, in the life of his disciples, and it becomes a pretty big teaching moment for them. And so that's where we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. But as you're turning there or looking there, uh, let me pray for us as we get started. Heavenly Father, you ask us to be hearers and doers of your word, and so we pray that you would open our ears and ready our feet to respond to what you call us to do here today. We thank you, Father, for all that you are, and I pray today that you would use me, that I would speak your truth and your love here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jesus gets through praying, and we pick up the story here, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. It says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although the other boats followed. So Jesus has just got through teaching, and there's a big crowd there. And Jesus, as he normally does, tells his disciples he, it's time to go. And whether he wants to go to a different place, or maybe it's just a, a time when Jesus does what he, he often does, and that's seclude himself, not because he doesn't like people, but to kind of recharge and to be with the Father. They set sail off the lake, or over the lake of Galilee. Now, with 2,000 years of separation between when this happened and today, we kind of just don't bat an eye at this idea of Jesus hanging out with his disciples, these 12 people who became his best friends, his, his partners in ministry. But if we were there in this time, it would look really weird for a guy of Jesus' stature to be hanging out with these 12 individuals. So let's just take a look at who's on the boat with Jesus. Four of them are fishermen. 
And that means that they had little to no formal education. That, mean, that meant that they, they smelled terrible and that they had, we'll just say, some loose morals. And, and they were hanging out with Jesus. Also on this boat was a man named Levi or Matthew, and he was a tax collector. He, he was employed by the Roman government. He's kind of a mistrusted government official, so we can't really relate to that today. But back then, it was kind of a big deal. And so they would give him uh, this, this tax to go and collect from the Roman citizens, but then gave the tax collectors leeway to, to exceed that, and they got to keep all of that. So they got to keep whatever was above the amount that they were sent to collect. So they would have the nicest house. They would have a lot of nice things. Ironically, also on the boat was a man named Simon, and this wouldn't have been his official job title, but he was a zealot, which meant that he was actively trying to overthrow the Roman governments to set up his own or their own Jewish government there. So you can kind of feel the tension on that like first icebreaker that Jesus does with his disciples, where he says, hey, tell us who you are, where you came from, and what you do. And Matthew's like, I'm a Roman tax collector. And Simon's next. He goes, oh, I try to kill Romans. And that would be really, really awkward. It would put some of our Thanksgiving dinners where politics gets brought up to shame. These two people who are, are just completely opposed, but now they're together in a boat. And then there's six more that we have absolutely no idea what they did. We don't know their jobs. We don't know anything about them pre-Jesus. And so here is Jesus getting all of this, this crowd, these crowds coming to him, and he is choosing to associate with these 12 people. And these 12 people have already kind of, they're starting to sit at the cool table because they normally wouldn't be, but now they're with the most popular guy in the area, Jesus. And they have gotten to see some things that no one's ever seen before. They've got to see, just in the book of Mark, an exorcism. They've got to see healings, and they've got to, to hear teachings. But then they got to follow up with Jesus. The two verses right before this it tells us about that. It says, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterwards, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So all these other people came and listened to Jesus like a TED Talk, but then they got to go behind the scenes and be like, okay, what exactly did you mean by that? Because we're dumb fishermen and we don't understand. And Jesus would walk them through it. And so their lives have completely changed. They're, they're, they're with the in crowd. They are the in crowd. People are following their boat in other boats because they want to be around Jesus and therefore be around them. And it's the disciples where we want to put ourselves in their situation here today. That, that's who we want to, to be, it's who we want to be with, who we want to look through their eyes. And, and I know that there's a hesitation for some of us because we would say, well, I, you know, I wouldn't classify myself, classify myself as a disciple. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about Jesus, I have questions about Jesus, I'm just here because somebody else I know loves Jesus and I'm with them. And, or we say, you know, I just don't really know who Jesus is, so I wouldn't be in the boat. Well, I want to tell you here today, by the end of the story, you're going to see the disciples didn't really know who Jesus was either, either at this time. Others of us, we would say, yeah, I think I'm a disciple. I, I, would, I follow Jesus, I've, I've, you know, I've gave my life to him, I'm following him, I've been baptized, I've, I, I've seen him do some pretty neat things. And so uh, today, I want us to be here in the boat with Jesus and, and with his disciples. So they, they sell off, this huge crowd is, is dispersing behind them, and you got to feel like the disciples are on cloud nine. 
completely pumped up about what's happening. Then we see in verse 37, it says, But soon a fierce storm came up, and high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with life. So they leave where they are in the Lake of Galilee, and now there's a storm that pops up. Now this would happen pretty frequently. There were, there were squalls that would show up out of nowhere over the Lake of Galilee, and they're caught up in it. So these guys who are high on life, think everything's great, are now caught in a storm. Everything is, is going bad. Water is coming over the sides of the boat. And the fact that everyone's afraid, as we'll see here in a second, tells us it was a bad storm. A tax collector on a boat, he'd probably be scared of anything. Or a zealot on a boat might be scared of anything. But for fishermen who make their living on a boat, for them to be scared of a storm means that this was a pretty bad storm. Now, how many of us have ever been driving or we've been out in a field or something and we just caught, got caught in a storm that we had no idea was coming, right? We've all been there, right? Some of you, Gatlinburg Mission Trip. We played Frisbee in the middle of one before I realized what liability was. And so... We, you know, we get, we get caught in storms, Peyton went through a fence, um, we, we get caught in storms out of nowhere, and what do those storms do? Well, besides drench us, there's really two things. Those storms uh, unsteady us, and those storms limit our vision to the storm, right? That, that's what storms do. We can't see, see past it. And I, I think that you can see where we're going, that, That's what happens to the storms that happen in our life. The reason we're in the boat with Jesus is because every single one of us have experienced storms. Storms that came out of nowhere, that knocked us for a loop, and that that's became all that we see. For some of us, that storm came when a doctor came in and said, hey, it's cancer. And we were completely taken aback. Maybe it was us, maybe it was a loved one. And now there's this battle and this uncertainty, and, and it just... It's all-encompassing. Or maybe for some of us, it was we went to work and we got to our office and there was a knock on the door and they said, hey, the boss wants to see you. And all of a sudden, you've got this storm where you've been laid off after maybe even decades of being there and you're overqualified to work the similar position in other places and you're, you're trying to find a job. Or maybe your storm came when you woke up one day and all of a sudden, you started seeing things through a different lens where the things that used to make you happy didn't make you happy anymore, and the things that you used to just brush off caused you so much anxiety that it was crippling, or maybe it was both. And now you're in this storm where there's a mental illness that you definitely didn't ask for, but you're having to battle on a daily basis. Or you have these storms where people name the storms. Like my parents always talk about the blizzard of 76, right? And they reference it like I was alive then. Um, but you know, they, they would say, you know, it was really bad. Or, or we name storms, right? The hurricanes, we name them kids' names to traumatize them for the rest of their life. And, and so Hurricane Andrew or things like that, right? And, and so some of our storms have a name. And I think a lot of us probably have a storm called 2020-2021, right? That's what we've named the storm because we had vacation plans or wedding plans or graduation plans or we were going to get involved in something. We had all these plans and all of a sudden everything shut down. We had, we, had, we had this idea of community and constantly gathering together and then we're isolated from everyone else in our support system. And we feel the weight of that. And, and then because everybody pivoted to an online lifestyle, you saw sides of people that you didn't know existed. 
and you realize that the person you thought they were isn't who they are and that the relationship that you had in March of 2020 is never going to be that way again. And you're dealing with all of this in isolation and then there's riots and there's protests and there's unrest and there's outrage and you just are completely overwhelmed with a storm. And all of us have been there. Every single one of us have been in a storm. We maybe today are in a storm. We know what it's like to be knocked for a loop and to be unable to see anything beyond what is in front of you. The disciples felt great when they got into the boat, but all of a sudden the storm happens and it changes everything for them. Look at what they say in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It says, when Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, his head on a cushion... The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, there's no doubt, I've never done it personally, but healing people probably takes some energy. And Jesus has been doing it, and he's been teaching. I'm so thankful today. I only got two of these. Usually I have to do three every single Sunday. Um, It's exhausting. And so he's taught, and he has healed, and he's done all of this. But my goodness, this is a heavy sleeper right? There is a storm going on outside. No doubt his, his disciples, his fishermen are reverting back probably to the words they used to use before Jesus was around, and everything is going nuts, and yet he is sleeping. And what do the disciples do? They turn to Jesus, and they skip the, oh, Jesus, Lord, we are uh, a little wet now, but that's okay. We just ask that just in this moment that you would Like, they skipped that. And they went straight to, do you even care? Now, I don't know about you, but in the middle of my storm, I've skipped the the pleasantries. And and I've gotten to that point of resentment, maybe, or even desperation, where, hey, do do you even care? Do you even care? I mean, the disciples, I saw you heal people. I've seen you teach. And you're sleeping. Do you even care? We're about to drown here. I think that's problematic for us. It's problematic for us because there's some of us who know chapter and verse. And so we say, all right, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and, and not to bring you harm, to give you a hope and a future. And you say, hey, God, that verse, yeah, it's plastered above where I do the dishes. It's ugly, but the grandkids gave it to me, so it's got to be there. Or, you know, it's, it's this picture that's in the hallway. I pass it every day. I believe it. You have the plans you have for me. So, God, just quick question. Why, why is my car keep breaking down when you know I can't afford to keep fixing it and I can't afford a new one. And all of my paycheck is going to this and I don't know how I'm going to pay rent or feed my kids or, because I'm always doing this. Or you, you say, you know, I, oh, you, have, you know the plans you have for me. That's great. Prosper not to harm. That's great. So God, when I decided to take that step, that leap of faith to join you in a ministry or maybe even to, to become a Christian, why did a couple days later I woke up with anxiety that's crippling and it hasn't left? Hey, hey, do you, do you even care? Or maybe our verse is Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we say, God, I believed it when you helped me back win that championship in high school. I, that was the verse that I told everybody. And, and I believe that I can do it. I can do all things. So, so God, just curious. I, I've got this 
this thing that I've asked you to take away from me that I didn't want to do anymore, and I'm still in front of this computer looking at things you don't want me to look at. I've asked you to take it away. I've tried. Why am I still here? Or uh, I've got this feeling for somebody else, whether it's a, an attraction or whether it's a hatred and that I know I'm not supposed to have, and God, I have battled it, and I've asked you to take it away, and it's still there. I thought I could do everything through you. God, do you even care? Or maybe we, we don't know chapter or verse, but we know songs, right? And so, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, that is who you are, that is who you are, like seven more billion times. That is who you are, that is who you are, right? That is who you are. So, hey, Waymaker, why are my parents getting a divorce? Hey, Promise Keeper, why do I feel this way? Hey, Light in the Darkness, I mean, have you looked around? Do you even care? Do you even care? And so many of us end up here. We end up in the same place as the disciples, struggling because we know the words, we know the scriptures, we know the songs, and yet life stinks. And the disciples are wrestling with this. And we wrestle with this. That there is simultaneously the existence of storms and the existence of a loving God. How does this work? And what happens to us is we get desperate because it seems that truth becomes impractical in the midst of storms. Like the disciples got to hear, pick Jesus' brain and they got to, to hear from him and they knew all this stuff. Another gospel writer says if everything Jesus said and did was written down, there wouldn't be enough volumes in the entire world to contain it. They, they, they experience all of that and yet here they are. And on sunny days and calm seas, yeah, when they were at the cool table and everybody else was looking at him, yeah, we, that makes sense. We're all for it. But when a storm comes, those promises seem a little bit shaky. And we get in the same boat. We struggle with it because when everything else changes, we sometimes wonder whether truth retains its validity or not. Everything else has changed. Does that mean that this has changed too? And so they skip right through the whole, you know, precious Jesus, help me thing, and get straight to, hey, do you even care? And look at what Jesus says here. It says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So when I was little and I read this, I always kind of pictured Jesus getting up and putting his hands out and saying, You know, silence, be still, and everything being calm. And then I became a parent and realized what it's like to be awoken from a slumber when you don't want to be. And so you know, it could have been Jesus just rolling over like I yell at my kids, be quiet, be still, and everything's still. So I don't know exactly how it happens, but Jesus either forcefully or just casually says, hey, stop doing this, and everything stops. The waves stop splashing over, the sun comes out, everything is great. And then he looks at his disciples, probably buckets in hand for where they've been like cartoonishly throwing it over into the water, soaking wet, beads of water dropping down their face, fishermen smelling like fishermen and everyone else too. And he asked them two questions, but really he just asked them one. 
don't you trust me? Hey, don't you trust me? Listen, I, I'm, I'm in this boat. I'm not going anywhere. Do you think that I came and called you away from a lifestyle, the lifestyle that you were living, the, the career that you had, just to come and have you drown in the middle of a lake? Don't you trust me? Because Jesus understood that the presence of storms don't make truth untrue. Everything that he is, he still is, even when life goes sideways. Everything God says is still what God says. It's still true, even when everything else is chaotic. Jesus says, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I, I've got See, what we sometimes remember because the storm is so blinding is that the one who is in the boat with us is the one who says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And if I've overcome the world, the storm, the storm's taken care of. And so picture for a moment the disciples, they're drenched in Jesus saying this. What would your reaction be? Right? Would you be like slapping hands? Would you be doing chest bumps? Like That's probably not safe on a boat. But everything, like you'd be celebrating, right? Well, look at what the disciples, their reaction is. Just, the disciples were absolutely terrified. They were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this guy? That's why I said at the beginning, if you're unsure about Jesus, join the club, because the disciples thought they knew Jesus and had Jesus in this nice little box, and all of a sudden he's calming a storm, and they're like, oh, crud, we don't know who this guy is. Who is he? And the reason that the winds and the waves obey him is because he is the author of creation. He, he created all things, creator of the heavens and the earth, and so he gets to tell creation what it's supposed to do. Same thing's true for us. The reason he gets to tell us what to do is because he created us. He, he, he says, this, you're done. Quit blowing. Quit raining. And it happened. But Jesus was more than just this tag-along miracle worker. Jesus was a savior. Not just for the physical storms, but every storm that we would encounter in our life he went to a cross arms spread out dying on a cross publicly showing this is how much i love you and if i'm going this far for you i'm going to go with you through anything i'm going to be with you there's a guy named paul who grew up his name was saul and i think when he was saul he never had a storm like he had everything that he possibly could want and then he met Jesus, and then he changed his name. And from that day forward, it rained on that guy. It stormed. It, it was awful from that day forward for him. And yet in the midst of everything that he was going through, imprisonment and beating, eventually his execution, Paul knew who was in the boat with him. 
Romans 8, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is is in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a guy in the middle of the storm saying the storm doesn't change who Jesus is and that he loves me and he's going to be there with me. Because Jesus is greater than the storm, but I know that some of you still have a hesitation and that is, that's great, but it's still raining. Jesus stood up, calmed everything, and the disciples got to go on with their day. It's still raining. See, it's an uncomfortable truth that we have to wrestle with. This is why they only ask me to come back once a year, because I tell you bad things. Um, if you're alive, it's going to be raining on you because we live in a broken world. Like some of us, some of us, we're in the storm, but we're on, like, sitting on the porch, it's drizzling, and the thunder and lightning's in the distance. Others of us, we're in the Category 5 storm wall, and it's, Everything else is falling apart around us. And some of us are in the eye of the storm where it's calm, but we've just been through something and we're getting ready to go through it again. Every single one of us is in a storm because we live in a broken world. And so you say, that's great that Jesus is with me and that he loves me, but can you please tell me, is there a purpose for this? There is. Because right before Paul says all of this, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, good things, bad things, ugly things, in all things he works for the good. For God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In all things God is going to work for the good. And what is happening in the storm is that God has, has said, you know what, whatever happens to you, On the other side of this, in the midst of it, I'm making you more like Jesus. That's what I'm doing. I'm not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm not missing out. I do care. If you'll hold on to me, if you'll hold on to me, I'm going to make you more like my son. And so as we lean on God's truth in the middle of our storms, God has chosen to take whatever happens to us and make us more like Jesus. That's who he created us to be like, in his image. And so God is going to take whatever is sent by the evil one in your life and says, if you'll just hold on, if you'll just hold on, then I'm going to make you more like me. Keep holding on. So this morning, as we respond to this, this story in our life, there's three decisions really to, to make. First is, you got to have Jesus in your boat. You've got to have him in your boat. He publicly displayed how much he loved you. And he's God, he's, he's everywhere, but he wants to be with you. Because he wants you to know in the middle of your storm that you're going through right now that he is with you, that he loves you, and that he's got a plan for you. So maybe today is the day you take that important step to talk to somebody about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. The second 
challenges, if, if that's, you're already there and Jesus is in the boat, then friends, just hold on. And I, I'm not, I'm making this seem really easy. You, you're going to have to really hold on. Because anything else that you're going to try to hold on to in your storm is going to be slippery and wet and you're going to fall. You've got to hold on to the solid rock. So hold on to him. Hold on to truth because truth doesn't change even when everything else does. And the third one is this, is don't think that you are alone, you are alone in your storm. The thing, the thing that the, our enemy wants to do is he wants to make us feel like we're the only ones who have ever gone through this. You're not. Part of being the church is that we, we've gone through it, we're going through it, and we're going to do it together. And so if you've been through a storm and you're on the other side of it, seek some people who feel like they're drowning and tell them that it's going to be okay. If you are in that storm, don't give up. Find some people who can love you and care for you. We're here this morning, and we have all are in a storm in some way, shape, or form. And so it's my prayer that today we learn the valuable lesson that the disciples learned, that we can trust Jesus even when everything else seems to be going crazy. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that is in it. We pray today that you would just help us to take that next step. Father, if there's anyone here who needs to, to take that step to, to receive you, I, I pray that they would do that. I pray that you would spark conversation so that we would be able to talk with each other through whatever we're going through and that you would equip this church, the leaders, elders, staff, everyone here that they can... Be people who, who rally together in the midst of, of really bad times. Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus and this promise that you knew what's going to happen to us, and yet you are determined to make us more like Jesus. We just have to hold on to you, and we pray that we would do that here today. Father, we thank you for all things, and we thank you most of all for Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.